session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are up loaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Again, our studio number 3104410555. Uh, before I get into the book of the week from last week that I'll talk about tonight, this week's book of the week is The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. The Culture Code, The Secrets of Highly Successful Groups. Um, I don't know much about the book, but thought it was interesting uh, apparently, obviously, it's research into what makes some groups more successful than others. And so he had another book called The Talent Code. I haven't read, but so pick this one up, The Culture Code. Looking forward to reading it and sharing it with you on next Monday's show. The book of the week from this past week that I'll talk about tonight um, really uh, touched me profoundly. I had a wonderful experience reading Being Human by Judith Human. Being Human, an Unrepentant Memoir of a Disability Rights Activist. And I am so happy I read this book. And it was really, in some ways, eye-opening. Of course, I knew about people who experience disabilities. But really to understand the struggles for the rights for the disabled in the United States and around the world. And through the eyes and life of Judy or Judith Human. Um, who this memoir is written by. It was it was great. Highly recommended. I hope you'll read this, and I hope you'll do what I did. I actually got to, of course, read this book, but I heard there was a documentary that just came out on Netflix that was called Crip Camp, which was about this camp for the disabled that started, I think, way back, maybe even the 50s or 60s. Um, but Judith uh, Human mentioned it in her book, that she went to this camp and what an incredible experience it was. It was a camp for uh, children with disabilities. Also, some of the counselors had disabilities, but there was just a range of uh, people with different types of experiences. But it was such a beautiful um, place for them to be where they could feel fully accepted, where they were fully taken care of so that they could be uh, really just like kids in a camp doing things that people normally do. And so seeing that last night and then also reading this book this week was very uh, meaningful for me to really just get a, a kind of a crash course in the disability rights movement, but also um, was really eye-opening. And I, you know, watching the documentary, I cried so many times. The last 15, 20 minutes, I was just crying. And throughout different uh, parts of it were very moving. And um, also reading this book, oftentimes, I would get tears in my eyes from the things that um, Judy Human shared about her life. So I hope you'll also check out the documentary Crip Camp. I might talk about it more uh, during the segment and the rest of the show, but also this book, Being Human by Judith Human. Again, it's a play on words, human, because her last name is H-E-U-M-A-N-N. -N. 
But of course, when we're talking about disability rights, we're talking about human rights. And for a certain group, which is often overlooked throughout history, especially, but even still, uh, to be given all the rights they deserve. So I'll talk about that. And of course, it's woven into the story of Judith's life, which she describes in the book. So um, she talks about her parents who were both from Germany. And I hope I'm going to remember uh, some of the details correctly, but they both essentially left Germany as teenagers to avoid the Holocaust without their families. Uh, And their parents passed, both of them, but then they met and lived here. And so when Judy was born, I believe in 1947, uh, she got polio when she was about a year and a half. And so because of that, she became essentially um, disabled, a paraplegic. She could use her arms a little bit, I think, for most of her life, but especially her legs. And she was in a wheelchair. Uh, And also back then there wasn't even motorized wheelchairs. So of course, she was very limited. And so she shares these stories of living on her block and trying, you know, playing with the kids on her block and having some very good friends. But even you you notice just small things that maybe you might take for granted. Um, she could not take for, she could not do. For example, one of her good friends, she would go to her house, but she there were steps leading up to the door. So sometimes she would just wait outside hoping someone would see her or she would start to yell because they couldn't, uh, she couldn't go up to the door to knock or you know, ring the doorbell. Um, and of course, just these types of small challenges, but there were even just getting across the street was hard because uh, we're used to it now, especially in the United States. I think most countries, we have these curved um, kind of curbs when the street meets the sidewalk, that if you're crossing the street, uh, also it's for people on their bikes. It could also be used for people with a, a baby in a stroller, but of course, also for people in a wheelchair. Um, and so back then that wasn't the case. So just getting up a curb, uh, to walk, to cross the street or, or to roll, I guess, to go somewhere was very challenging. And so we see that she has these experiences, but she shares that she was okay on her block and was able to make friends. Um, she shares a very sad story on this walk to the candy store where she's going with a few of her friends and they're having a good day and excited to go to the candy store. But these boys pass them and one of them keeps asking her, are you sick? And she's just shocked and doesn't know how to respond. Um, And eventually, you know, she keeps asking and it made her realize that people see me differently. Even if I think I'm just one of the kids, kids, other people will see me differently. And so, um, you know, that was for her a kind of a aha moment in a negative way of seeing how she might be looked at by other people. And that, that was very sad. And she mentioned that that was a pretty momentous or important moment in getting her to see how others might see her as sick, as uh, something not being right with her. Um, and so actually go, taking a step back, something interesting she shared was about her parents when they found out she had polio and the doctor was telling her that she uh, you know, was going to not be able to walk again. The doctor suggested that they could put her in an institution and her parents uh, absolutely refused. Uh, probably for lots of reasons, but especially because in Germany before um, the rounding up of different types of people, the disabled were the first to be um, essentially separated and killed. And so they would tell parents of kids with disabilities that we're going to send your child to an institution and take care of them. But almost always those kids, uh, it's even painful to say it, were taken away and either essentially starved to death, they got lethal injection, 
as the kids, if they were older, they also started gassing. So in essence, experimenting with ways that they would uh, exterminate other people, kill other people. Um, it started with the disabled. So of course, her parents were not going to be okay with sending their kids to an institution and trusting that things would be okay. Uh, so, so for me, that was quite eye-opening. I, I knew but didn't know the details to that extent. And so, of course, her parents said, no, we're, we're going to be just fine. So we, we follow her throughout her life. And as she got a little bit older and it was time to go to school, very sadly, the, the schools would not accept her. And they said she was a fire hazard being in a wheelchair and what would happen if there's, let's say, a fire. And even just saying that is very sad that we think of a child, a kid who deserves to get an education, and we say that they're a hazard, a fire hazard. And so because of that, they can't go to school. And so she wasn't going to school for a few years. And rather than being able to go to school, they would send a teacher to her home for about two and a half hours a week of instruction. So compare that to what the other kids were receiving. And she was just getting this two and a half hours uh, a week and was not um, able to go to school. And of course, it's not just about the instruction, it's about being around other kids and the social aspects, but she was missing out on all of that. And this was not from a lack of effort from her parents. She shares that her mom is very, um, very stubborn, or I shouldn't just say stubborn, but she perseveres. She, and you could see that in uh, Judy Human, of course, herself, but she wouldn't take no for an answer. And so they got no from one school, she went to a Hebrew school and that teacher, the principal said, well, if she learns Hebrew, thinking there was no way that a young girl would just pick up Hebrew, we'll let her come to the school. So she started teaching her Hebrew, where I think she got classes from a friend, uh, a friend of their, uh, I forgot who it was exactly, but, but they still didn't let her in after that. And so it was years, I think, until the point that she would have been roughly in third or fourth grade, that finally there was... Um, possibility for her to go to school and so she was so excited about this and reading you know these these stories it's very touching and sweet but also heartbreaking um, of course a child's gonna be so excited to go to school but why should she have to wait years for that to happen and so she finally does go but even still that school um, was not like what most kids were experiencing she was with other disabled children which itself was good because she hadn't seen many children like her who were handicapped or dealing with disabilities, I should say, um, and needed the type of assistance and people were in different conditions, but still they were separated. And so this doctrine, which in the United States, many people maybe have heard of separate but equal, was very clear there. So they were given an education, of course, it's hard to say it was equal, but it was separate. They were separated from the other children. This was, um, originally you would hear this a lot, looking at African-Americans and their schools when schools were segregated, that uh, the argument against desegregation or, or making all the children in one school, something that here in the United States can seem um, unfathomable to think that that would be happening, but maybe 60 years ago, this was the case less than 60 years ago. Um, but there was an argument that we would have separate schools, but they would be equal. But the same thing was happening with children experiencing uh, disabilities. Um, I did want to share one part about that, which is, was so sweet um, about her experience. And she talked about how there were children with different disabilities. And also there were children from different ages, which is, of course, quite strange and another aspect of 
school that was different for them. Some kids were teenagers, some were very little. Uh, there was a whole, basically they're all in one classroom. But she um, shares what it was like to be around other people with disabilities. And she says, uh, this is from um, page 23 of the book. Now I know that what we were all beginning to learn was what today might be called disability culture. Although disability culture is really just a term for a culture that has learned to value the humanity in all people without dismissing anyone for looking, thinking, believing, or acting differently. Like Buddhism or kid culture, because we were kids doing what kids naturally do until they are taught otherwise. Slow down enough to listen and truly see each other. Ask questions, connect, find a way to have fun, learn. And I thought that was so sweet. And uh, two pages before that, she mentioned um, how some children in the, the group would not be able to speak as quickly as others, but they never rushed them or they always waited for them, allowed them to speak, make sure every voice was heard. And I thought that was quite beautiful and telling and shows, of course, of course, the mentality that um, disability rights is really human rights and that everyone should be included and no one should be left behind. And, and so I thought that was quite beautiful. And you see that throughout the book uh, that when she was involved, Judy Human, she wanted to make sure everyone's voice was heard. So later in the next segment, I'll probably talk about um, some of the activism that she did throughout her life she would make sure that everyone's voice was heard. It wasn't just about a few people. Everyone needs to be able to speak and share their voice. And so we see her going through these challenges, being a young disabled girl. Um, and it, the challenges, of course, did not stop, as you might imagine. Even as she went to high school, she was winning an award in high school for you know, working so hard. So imagine she started school late, essentially, and even that schooling was not quite the same eventually getting more into a typical type of classroom. And so when she won an award, there was no steps to get up to the stage to get that award. And the principal, maybe wanting to avoid what might look awkward or something, uh, said, don't put her, uh, we'll just have her sit where she's sitting. She doesn't have to be on the stage. But her father insisted, and she went on stage because she deserved to get that award. And, and that's essentially what the book is about, that Everyone deserves to have a place at the table. Everyone deserves to have access to all the things that we deserve to have access to from housing and education uh, to health services to whatever it might be. Um, and we can't forget about anyone. And throughout life, we have, we, or throughout society's you know, history, we see that we've forgotten many people at different times. If we look at the, from women to the people from different races, um, to sexuality, and also with disability, that we've often forgotten people and not realized when we say all people, we mean everyone, every single person. And that might mean that you have to consider people that maybe you didn't before. Uh, and that's another important theme throughout the book is that people with disabilities are oftentimes invisible in society and even more so before imagine if they didn't have access to schools and things so they were more invisible so we might not think of them or people did not think of them uh, i hate to even say it this way but as people as equal to everyone else and so we 
uh, didn't see people approaching it as, okay, we need everyone involved. It was, uh, well, it's too much trouble. It might cost too much money. It'll slow things down. It's a fire hazard, as she was told and later told again. And so we see that people have to sometimes have a paradigm shift to recognize we're not seeing or not even realizing what we are not seeing. Um, so I, I do want to talk much more about this book because there's so much to unpack and I really enjoyed it so much. Highly recommended. That's Being Human by Judith Human. Um, I'll talk about that more after the break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, I'm going to continue talking about the book Being Human by Judith Human, an unrepentant memoir of a disability rights activist. Again, I can't recommend this book highly enough. I enjoyed it so much. And I was sharing about her experiences. And you see this woman, or she starts, of course, telling the story as a young girl, but growing up into a, a woman who becomes such a meaningful figure in the disability rights movement. And what's interesting is from a young age, she was strong. She mentioned her mom was very strong and didn't take no for an answer. And you see that in her too. But you also see in a story, which I think is nice, that it wasn't she knew she was going to turn into a disability rights activist from a young age. She just started to do things, taking steps in this direction and ended up having this huge impact. And so it's a reminder that sometimes when we look at people in history who've made a significant impact, it's almost like we think they were destined or it had to happen that way, or they always knew they would do that, or that they always believed in themselves and never doubted themselves. But when you see her story, you see the times where she was unsure of what to do, even sometimes where she thought, should I just give up or give in to what's going on? Uh, usually that's not what she ended up doing, but it wasn't that it was so clear and uh, history is written um, you know, we write it afterwards, but it happens live and it's not planned what's going to happen. So she had to uh, develop a lot of what became her strength and resolve throughout her life. And we see that she, in some ways, I don't want to say stumbled because she did it really intentionally, but she ended up becoming this huge figure without uh, really knowing that that's the impact she would have. And that's what's very, I thought, cool and fascinating about reading her story is seeing how things developed in her life over time. So she had challenges just going to school, um, but then we also see her, she finishes school and she wants to be a teacher. And so she wants to be a teacher, but they don't allow her to be a teacher because they say that she won't, she wasn't able to pass these health exams. And so to even get the health exam, she, the, the building was inaccessible for her in a wheelchair. So her friend had to help her up the steps and then she went, but they gave her a very unfair um, medical exam and said that because she couldn't walk, she couldn't be a teacher. What would she do? They told her in case of a fire, for example, to protect the kids, um, and things like that. Or even the doctor asked her some very inappropriate questions like, show me how you go to the bathroom, something that we would never ask of anyone else. And so we, we see that she, her struggles continue. She finally gets to go to school and do those types of things. But now uh, when she tries to work, we see that she's unable to do the work that she's qualified to do. She had good marks, passed all her exams, but, but they don't let her teach. And so this started a, a legal battle um, that eventually ended with her being able to teach. But we see that almost every step of the way in her life, she faced challenges. And so I mentioned things about uh, different rights 
that have changed over time. But when we look at the civil rights movement, uh, it was mentioned in the book, you know, the people with disabilities were left behind, unfortunately, or not thought of. And so we see her going through this process. And as she goes to school, uh, teaches, gets all these um, different types of offers from individuals that she shares throughout the book, which are quite remarkable, but it's just, you know, when you read her story, you see that she was doing good things. People saw the good in her. And so she was offered these different opportunities. She kept putting herself in a position to be able to help. And so eventually if we fast forward, um, she wanted to, of course, help make more meaningful change for the rights of people with disabilities. And so we see some movements that were made. And one of the big steps they made first was uh, in New York, they protested some legislation that wasn't signed. I believe this was after President Nixon vetoed something called, um, I think it was called Title 504, which was going to help bring about some um, more rights for people with disabilities. They were in New York and they actually blocked a road in their wheelchairs and in different um, some had crutches, some were in wheelchairs. They blocked a street for a while. They realized after a time that they were a little intimidated by some of the truck drivers and it was just they didn't want to maybe cause the kind of situation they were, so they just blocked one lane. But still that made a big impact and in some ways, I don't want to say set the table, but we see that this these acts of civil disobedience continued. And so a big one they did is they went to these different government buildings on the same day. I think it was like in 10 cities across the country. And they did something like a sit-in where they just went into the building and they wouldn't leave. And this is a remarkable story when you see that, of course, for anyone, imagine having to, you know, right now in quarantine, it's different, but imagine you're in a government building and you have to live there or try to live there and you don't know how long. So to protest essentially what they thought was unfair and really was unfair, that they were not being seen and heard, they made it so essentially we, you can't ignore us. We're here and we're not going anywhere. And uh, sharing that story where people with different disabilities, of course, needed medication, needed different levels of support and treatment to help them just in their day-to-day -day life. But now they had to do it in this, um, you know, in a shut down or lockdown situation in a government building and they lasted i think close to the, the group in san francisco that she was involved with several uh, weeks up to almost like 30 days but even at some point through there there was a congressional hearing that they held in the building and so that story is quite remarkable to see what they were able to achieve by just saying you know what if you're not going to see us we're going to make sure you do and we're not leaving till something happens and so that had a big impact on bringing about some of the regulations that came into place um, and seeing some of the exchanges, you know, she was, is still, uh, but seeing her younger and how eloquent she was expressing these ideas so powerfully um, was quite interesting. And that's why I was happy to see the documentary Crip Camp, which also showed um, a lot of the things that she talked about in the book were showed in that documentary as well. So again, Crip Camp on Netflix, highly recommended. Uh, so we see them doing this government building takeover, which is quite amazing, joining forces with disability rights activists across the country. But again, Judy Human became one of the leaders of the movement. And so they're bringing about this change. And she also talks about this throughout the book, that change is slow, and especially change in a democracy is almost always going to be slow. Because 
she she was frustrated she was angry they were going through so much but she understood that in order to make these changes happen it, it would not happen overnight and we see for for decades fighting for these things understanding that it takes time and she shares how it takes time you don't do it alone you get people to join with you you get allies you get different people who will support you and slowly as if it happened overnight some big changes happen but it takes time so you have to be patient to make that uh, to bring that about and so her perseverance along with the other people who fight with her is quite remarkable and you see that throughout the book where they overcome something but then another hurdle is in their way another hurdle and they keep pushing but it seems like it, it almost seems like it's never enough but they make some huge changes um, in history so eventually some of these laws are passed but not everything is is passed uh, there's a lot of backlash uh, now you think about it and we can be in this mindset that we should of course take care of everyone but even still we see this where people will say it's too expensive for example to make all the subways um, and public transportation to be uh, accessible to people with disabilities and so that was the argument it's too expensive it's too hard it's not really worth it and even if you think of that last one it's not really worth it is is heartbreaking because we're saying these people aren't worth it some people don't deserve certain access and that's something we should not accept because that's essentially what she's fighting for it's of course an inspiring story fascinating and it was not inevitable but when we think about it it can be sad to even think people are fighting for the right to just be essentially human beings that get to have access to school to be able to go to the movie theater to be able to go to a building something that many people take for granted um, these are human beings, millions of people in the United States that have different disabilities. And if we don't think about them, who are we as a country when we leave very important uh, people, all people are important in that sense, I should say, we leave them behind or don't think about them. And I think that's heartbreaking, but something to think about that hopefully even now and someday in the future, we'll look back and say, how could we have been so... Um, really unkind and uh, very blind to what was going on and so um, I, I think when I read those parts of the book it was sad and even some of them happened during my lifetime and so I was saying oh I was six years old when this happened I was eight years old when this happened meaning that even when I was a child some of these laws hadn't passed and eventually what passed and I believe it finally got passed by the Senate and the um, the House of Representatives here in the United States in 1990, I think it was like July 1990, was the Americans with Disabilities Act, which would essentially make it a lot harder for people to discriminate when it comes to things like work or public types of things um, against people with disabilities. And this was a huge, huge step. But even this happening didn't mean that everything changed, as we know things haven't changed completely either. And so it's still a process and and she continues to fight for the rights of people with disabilities, both in the United States and then because of her incredible work and because of how um, well-known she was and because of how capable she was, she started to get positions in the government. Uh, even she worked for the World Bank, very high-level types of global organizations to help fight for disability rights across the world. And so she shares her stories going to different countries, including India, later in her life. Um, there was also a very heartbreaking story she shared about when they were not passing this Americans with Disabilities Act in, in the United States. And so they went to the state capitol 
uh, the country's capital in, in Washington, D.C., in the Capitol building. And there was, I think, 83 steps that led to the top of the Capitol building. And as many as, I think, 60 of them got out of their wheelchairs and dragged themselves in whatever ways they could up the steps. And I really wanted to see some of that footage, and I got to see it in the documentary. And I was just bawling, crying so much um, seeing this. And really, it's this, it was so, to see how much they wanted it, to see how much they deserve it. And it's interesting, there's, there's no ramp up that they can get there. But also, they were showing, we again, we're not going away. We'll do whatever it takes. And um, it, it's, it's heartbreaking, but also inspiring to see how committed and dedicated they were and hopefully eye-opening to us to realize that we're not supposed to let anyone have to go through this. Everyone should have access to these types of things. Everyone has, uh, every human being deserves human rights. It's essentially in the words themselves. But sometimes, again, we might not realize how people are being uh, left out and left behind. So that was a very... Um, inspiring moment in the book but also seeing the footage was also quite powerful and i hope you'll see that and this also eventually led to the law being passed in the house of representatives so they worked hard they suffered they really did suffer and they suffered both in trying to fight but of course they suffered in their real lives before that in everyday life uh, to bring about these changes and i think that is quite inspiring and amazing and for us to keep in mind, usually we think, okay, well, African-Americans, they're going to fight for the rights of African-Americans. Uh, people who are gay will fight for gay rights. If you have a uh, disability, you should fight for the rights of the disabled. Uh, but I hope it's a reminder that all humans, we should all be fighting for all humans to have human rights. So disability rights isn't about people who have disabilities only. It should be for all of us to be a part of that. And not to mention, another theme that comes out throughout the book is when we think of disabilities, it's not some kind of black and white line that we can say, that's disability, this is not. And also people. Uh, essentially, all of us at some point of our, in our life will be disabled in some way or another, whether it's from an injury that will temporary, temporarily disable you in some way, or as you get older and have different medical issues or just the process of aging will make you um, more disabled in some ways. And so literally we should care about all human beings, but we are all included in that group and being aware of that. That was an interesting thing in the documentary. One woman who was not disabled and then later in life, I think after she even had two kids, she was in a car accident, something had happened, but she became disabled and she shared about that experience of going from being what we call able-bodied or non-disabled um, to having a disability. And she realized she had all of the assumptions about being disabled and thought about a lot of them in the ways that many people do before she went through that. And that was a really um, challenging experience. But to see that the way she saw them as an other was really wrong because here she was in that group of what's considered other. And so uh, just another reminder that very often we try to make people into groups and think that they're other than us, different from us, but that all human beings are human. And that's something that you feel in the book, that Judy sees Judith human. She sees every human as that, a human being. And all of their voices matter, and that was something that was interesting in her um, the meetings they had when they were in the, the government building 
in San Francisco, they would have meetings sometimes till three in the morning within the, um, uh, the building because she wanted to make sure every voice was heard, every single person, um, even if they had challenges communicating, if they had sign language interpreters, some people, they would speak slower, but everyone's voice counted and had to be heard. And so you feel that, and that's something that I think makes um, her even more inspiring. I really was see her as an absolute hero in every sense of the word. Um, and I hope you will read this book. I'm getting to another commercial break. I'll probably continue on this uh, topic just because um, it, it, again, affected me so much. And I want to talk a bit more about the documentary Crip Camp as well that I got to see last night. So let's take a commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So I've been talking about the book Being Human by Judith Human. Again, highly recommended. An unrepentant memoir of a disability rights activist. She is really a hero. Uh, and I hope if you don't know about her, I really didn't know about her until I saw her on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah maybe uh, a couple months ago. And so before that, I didn't know about her. And so I'm so happy I saw her there. And because of that, ordered her book and then got to read the book and see the documentary. So um, as I mentioned, the book goes through her life. We see her fighting for herself, but of course fighting for the rights of others as well as she got older. First, just trying to go to school, get a job, but um, she made a huge impact with the help, of course, of so many people working together. And I hope we all will think of ourselves as allies for everyone fighting for human rights, whoever they are, wherever they are. Uh, if a human is trying to get human rights, that should be up to us to also care about that, not just whatever the group of people is. As I mentioned a few times also, um, there was a great documentary called Crip Camp on Netflix, and I became aware of it. She didn't mention the documentary, but she mentioned going to this camp when she was a child that was like a, a sleepaway camp, but for children with disabilities. And she described it in a very beautiful way, of all these people coming together, um, of not being seen as different as they tended to be in their day-to-day -day lives. They felt accepted, welcomed, maybe saw someone else who was like them. Uh, for many of them, as is the case for youngsters going away to camp, this was where they maybe got their first kiss or ma made their first boyfriend or girlfriend, and they got to have some of these experiences that they maybe didn't have back home. And so there was, it was like this utopia, and they described it, some of them as a utopia in the, um, uh, in the, the documentary, of just being away, and the camp counselors were there, and they were all helping them and taking care of them. It was really a, a beautiful thing, so I highly recommend that. And as I mentioned, many of the things she's talked about in her book, about her process, uh, she talked about, or it was talked about in the documentary, because many of them were there. Many of the people that were involved in the disability rights movement went to this camp, Camp Janaid, I forgot what it was called now. But anyway, this camp in, uh, uh, I think it was in New York State. And um, so it was interesting that they were all there. Maybe it gave them an idea that, you know what, we don't have to be left out. Because they were there, they would do activities, they would play sports, they would go swimming, um, they would dance, have all sorts of different activities. And so I think it made them realize, as should have always been the case, that they can live 
the typical life as other children do, and then as they get older, other adults do, they can be living um, a life like everyone else, and they deserve to. Not only can they, they, they deserve it, it is their right to. And so I'm sure that, and they talked about it in that way too, had an impact on them to realize that we can fight for the way we feel here at this camp to feel more like that when we are in our everyday lives, back in our homes, back in our hometowns. And so that was interesting. And so in the, the, the movie, it shows scenes from the camp, which is very touching. And you see uh, these children with different types of disabilities, um, but all together and with the counselors, some of the counselors had some disabilities as well. Some did not, but everyone was just together. And it was really beautiful. And they even mentioned it was kind of the 70s and the time of hippies and, and love and, you know, all that type of a mindset. But you felt that this love and acceptance that was there, which was quite amazing. And so throughout the movie, it was very touching to see these moments that people were sharing. As I mentioned before, it was so important for me. I wanted to actually look up videos to, to see footage of many of the things that uh, Judith Human described in her book. And so it had many uh, scenes that were very important, like her talking to people, of, uh, a member of Congress or someone representing someone from the government and how powerful it was. At one point, the, the man was, they didn't really do anything. And then this man was nodding and listening to her talking about what they wanted and why they thought it was fair. And very powerfully, I'm going to be paraphrasing, I could have found the page in the book, but she said something along the lines of, and I would appreciate if you would quit nodding your head or shaking your head in agreement when I don't think you have any idea what we're talking about. And so uh, it was really powerful. And you see her choking back tears when you see the, the video footage. And she said that herself in the book, but that she was saying basically unapologetically, please don't just nod and pretend like you're with me when you guys aren't doing anything to support us and take care of us. And so that was very powerful. So it, it was great for that reason as well. Um, to see the footage of uh, uh, these very powerful moments in the disability rights movement. And so many really intense things I felt, you know, throughout the movie, you see a couple who, who met and then they got married and they had a kid and near the end of the movie um, or the documentary, the man is talking and I, I believe he had cerebral palsy. So his speech was slower. And again, something that was so important is that it doesn't matter how you talk or how you need to communicate your voice matters so if it takes longer we're going to of course listen to you but so he's sharing his story and they show his his son they have a son together um and how he says something and I, i'm paraphrasing of course but he says something along the lines of my son is the first person who doesn't see me as a disabled person he just sees me as daddy and I was just, at that point, I was already crying, but I started crying harder. Um, but it's interesting for so many reasons. So beautiful to see that. Uh, of course, sad, too, to think that for most people who, let's say, have a disability and are in a wheelchair, very often they'll talk about how people just see them as a wheelchair. They even talk about them almost in that way, like they are, it's a wheelchair rather than it's a person. And so we see the disability before we see uh, the person, sadly. And so he has felt that his whole life, but his child doesn't care about that. It's his daddy, it's his dad, and that's what he sees and that's what he cares about, not about, um, you know, what we consider disability or disabled or non-disabled. It's just a person. And that's essentially what 
we hopefully will try to be moving towards in society and in our own personal lives as far as how we see the world is just to see human beings. Of course, we notice differences. Even in talking about um, fighting for the rights of the disabled, we're noticing that, let's say, they need certain access or certain services. So we're not ignoring that. It's similar to when people talk about race and they say they want to be colorblind, meaning they don't notice people's race. That's not what we're talking about. We see people, we notice them, but we see them as a human being, not as... Uh, someone who doesn't have the ability to do something or someone who struggles with this or that. We see them as full human beings first, meaning that who they are, their thoughts, their ideas are more important. And maybe I can share a personal uh, story and experience that actually really made this clear to me. So something like, I think it was 2007 in the summer, um, I went to Costa Rica for three weeks and the story is a little bit complicated as to how I ended up doing what I was doing, but I went with this organization that would allow you to do some type of uh, kind of community service or charity type of work in a very uh, local institution there. So they had some orphanages that they worked with. They had some homes for the elderly. And I got matched up with a school for deaf children. It was called um, Escuela para Niños Sordos de Cartago. So the school for deaf children in Cartago. That was the name of the city. And so uh, it was kind of an interesting experience. I did not know sign language before I went, um, nor did I speak Spanish. Interesting for me to, to end up in Costa Rica at a school for deaf children, but there I was. And the teacher, they had me uh, in her class. She didn't speak English either. So lots of stories about the experience there. Um, but going there, I remember, of course, thinking I'm going to be working with deaf children. And so I read a little bit of sign language to be able to say my name. Right now I'm showing it on Instagram Live. I don't think I did it very well. Um, and some very basic things, even for me, I had to learn that, you know, I th thought sign language was a universal sign language. And even when I went to get a book, they said, oh yeah, we don't have a Costa Rican sign language book, but just get a book ASL, American Sign Language. Isn't it all the same? And I had to tell them, no, I just learned that this was not the case. Um, but anyway, so when I was there, I remember looking at all these kids and it was a school of all just deaf children, um, really essentially preschool up until, I don't know if it was high school, maybe it was definitely older kids, but I remember how old they were. And at first, all I saw was children who were deaf, deaf children. So I was like, he is, she is, it's just, I couldn't really see anything other than that. And of course I was limited in how I can communicate with them. But at the same time, as much as I was limited, you know, kids are amazing at just finding a way to play. So I, I remember um, the school, the class I was with, it was, I think like basically first grade, second graders, and they were so cute, adorable. I love them so much. And um, I was there for a little bit. And first I had to practice numbers with them, which first I just had to learn. And then when it was time for them to play, um, they would just tell me, they pointed at me and they said, Rawr! and essentially what they wanted me to do was to chase them around and pretend like I was a monster. And that's what I did. So I was running around chasing them, pretending like I was a monster and we were able to play. A and so in that experience, um, what was quite beautiful is how much I was able to bond and communicate with them, even though I did, I knew very little sign language. I would try through the teacher. And again, even she didn't speak English. So that was quite a challenge. I was looking up lots of words. I didn't have even like an electronic dictionary um, to try to translate certain things. But overall, uh, I couldn't say much as far as verbally used words, but I was able to communicate so much with these kids. 
as far as getting so close to them. And, you know, here in the United States, they probably wouldn't do this, but there things were a little different. So when I would arrive each day, they would come and hug me and kiss me on the cheeks, uh, kind of like a Persian type greeting, but they would greet that way also. And it was amazing. And I just have a few minutes left, so I, I won't get to, of course, share all the, the details. Um, but that what I was going to point to was that, as I mentioned at first, all the children were just, I would see the deafness that they couldn't hear was the most important thing. And I didn't see them as individual children. But after a few days, of course, I knew they were still deaf. That's why we couldn't really quite communicate. And there was, you know, they had, some of them had uh, cochlear implants or different things and things of that nature. But um, so I knew that they were deaf, but their personalities and their individuality came through. Okay, that's the boy who likes to be a little bit silly and make jokes. Okay, she's the girl. Oh, she's a little bit shy, but she probably wants a little bit more attention, so I have to make sure I notice her. Or he's the one that really wants to show me uh, how smart he is. One of the kids would come and show me. It was interesting. For me, it was a new experience. Sometimes little kids will show you how high they can count, and so he was showing me in sign language how high he could count. Uh, he would always want to show me that. And so it was less about them being deaf and more about them being individuals being kids and, and having personalities and having likes and dislikes and, and things of that sort and so that was for me very interesting and something hopefully we can keep in mind and realize that the more we experience interacting with whatever we can call it a group again even saying groups makes it like we're us and them but if it's a type of group you've never experienced whether it's race sexuality the more we see them the more they become humanized and the more we realize they are just like us, or if they're kids, they're just like other kids. And it was something in our mind that was making us think of them as somehow so different. But really, we see that the humanity, the common humanity that is there with all human beings, that we might think we're so different, we might think there are these different types of barriers uh, that make us not the same. But when we really get to know each other, when you really get to know someone or individuals from a certain group we start to see that we're not so different at all that those things that we thought were the most important things that were different they go away so if you've never seen someone who is a certain race and then you interact with lots of people from that race their race will become less important to you because you'll see their individuality and so um, reading this book being human it reminded me of those kids I think about them every so often but also just in my own life and what uh, I hope all of us will be aware that sometimes we might forget that some things we take for granted, other people um, don't. And also, I don't want to leave it just at that. When we talk about taking things for granted and we realize we're grateful, that's not enough to just say, you know what? Oh, there's some people, let's say, if you, you know, I'm very lucky to be able to walk. If someone doesn't get to, can't walk, rather than just saying, oh, you know, I, I'm lucky I'm not in a wheelchair. Yeah, that's not enough. What we have to do is say, I'm so lucky that I'm not in a wheelchair or that I can walk. And I want to make sure that what I get access to because I can walk is something that everyone gets access to. So we can't just stop at being grateful. We could recognize or should recognize that what we are grateful for is something that we should make sure other people get to have as well, that it's not enough to just have it. I have to make sure everyone else gets it too. And so when you read a book like this, and if you watch Crip Camp, it might make you more aware of some things you might have been unaware of and to realize the humanity of people, uh, all people, and that everyone deserves equal rights, equal access to everything, and that we should all be fighting for everyone's human rights, including the rights of the disabled who have been so much forgotten throughout history. So again, check out the book, 
Being Human by Judith Human and the documentary Crip Camp on Netflix. That takes us to the end of tonight's show. Thank you to Amir here in the studio as always. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.